Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Well, good morning, church. All right, good to see you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to finish out that chapter today. We've been in there for a few weeks, so we've kind of done... Uh, the transfiguration, God's glory revealed. Then we talked about faith, how it's a gift given uh, through dependence upon Christ. Then we saw last week how humility is necessary to be a child of God. And then that kind of leads right into where we are today, talking about uh, gospel holiness. Now, the thing with holiness is when you talk about gospel holiness, it, you kind of get this idea or this thought that it's something you must do. And that's not, a, that's not what I want you to uh, here today, I want you to hear what Christ has done and not what we must do. Uh, if you guys could hit the next slide or two, that would be awesome. Uh, so, gospel holiness, Mark chapter 9, starting verse 42, we're going to go through verse 50. And so, we're going to finish that out. And I am stalling right now because my slides haven't caught up to me. So, I'm just going to keep saying Mark chapter 9. If you have a Bible and you need one, there should be one near you in a pew. Uh, feel free to take that today if you need a Bible. It's a black hardback Bible. Mark chapter 9. Okay, we're just going to go. Okay, so holiness isn't merely uh, something we must do. It's not, it's not this moral conformity to a list of rules. It's not following a list of rules. And in all actuality, holiness is something that is produced outside of us. Holiness is found uh, in who Christ is and what Christ does for us. So holiness is a thing of growth. And that was last week's message. And so uh, holiness is a thing that, that God does that... Uh, that he does through his people. So this is what Spurgeon said. This holiness is a thing of growth. It may be in the soul as a grain of mustard seed and yet not developed. It may be in the heart as a wish and as a, as a desire rather than anything that has been fully realized. A groaning, a panting, a longing, and a striving. As Spurgeon says this, he says, look, holiness is something that God wants to produce in the life of a believer because he is holy. Holiness comes from God. It is who God is. And so Spurgeon says, look, this is something that happens in your life and grows you and leads you towards glorification. There's salvation, sanctification, glorification. But Spurgeon goes on to say this. Look, there's some people in the church, there's some people who think they can get around the idea of holiness because they're good people. So what they try to do is they try to be one of these four areas of people. They try to be either a Pharisee, confident in outward ceremonies instead of true holiness, what they do is they say, look, I go to church. I do this. I try to do this. I'm following all these rules. And we know that uh, Pharisees back in the day, they were very self-righteous, not righteous. They thought a lot about what they could do. And so a lot of times we disregard holiness and what God wants to produce in us because look at what I'm doing. He goes on to say there's some people who are moralist. They, they feel no need for holiness because their life's good. What they do is they begin to look at other people and they begin to measure themselves off of what other people are doing and not doing. And they say, look, I don't need to strive for holiness because I'm pretty good. I mean, I, I like what I'm doing. And that's, again, self-righteousness. He goes on to say uh, that some are experimentalists. Their entire Christian life is lived inward, never looking to outward conduct, but only to feelings. So then you have some that say, you know what? God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. And so he's moving you in that direction. But when you think that life's all about happiness and these experiences you can have, and you say, that's what God's leading me to do. And you'll even hear some people say, you know, God's kind of led me to do this. And, and you're like, that's a, that's a sin. 
I'm not real sure God's leading you to do that because it goes directly against his word. And so some people will say, well, it's all about experience. And then some will say uh, the opinionist. Their Christian life is all about believing the right doctrines and is unconcerned about the way one lives. This would be someone who grew up in church and says, look, I've heard all the stories. I know all the rules. I know how to conduct myself, how to not conduct myself. I've kind of just been inundated with all of this stuff since I was a little child. I know doctrine, and I'm willing to argue it. But I don't have to live the way you tell me to live. Holiness is something that God does. It's possible for a church to grow in moral conformity, in doctrinal understanding, in evangelistic experiences, and fail to see the need for personal holiness. Now, I want you to understand that. This is difficult. I'm, I'm going to plow some ground here so we can plant some seed when we talk about holiness because it's a big issue. There's a good chance that we can be all about moral conformity. Look, let's follow these rules. Let's be good people. We can all be about doctrine, understanding. Look, we're going to learn. We're going to learn this. We're going to learn this. We can all be about evangelistic experiences. Was that not amazing? Did it not feel like the Lord was there today when we sang those songs? We can be all wrapped up in these things and fail to see the need for personal holiness when we walk out these doors. You know, it's true, right? Holiness is who God is and what God does in us. It's not what we do for him. So please hear me today. I'm not giving you a list of do's and don'ts. I'm not telling you this is what you need to do. What I'm saying is that there is a holy, holy, holy God who has given us his spirit so that we could have life and have it more abundant. And he wants to do a work in us and produce in us his very own character that is far beyond morals, far beyond do's and don'ts, far beyond intellectual understanding and experiences. It is something so personal. It's personal holiness. Mark Dever says this, the church is not a growing number of people, but a number of people growing. I think that's remarkable. As we gather here today, it's not about the number of people who are gathered or the number of people who watch online or any of those things, especially now that we're in this weird COVID season, right? The church, God grows. It's a, it's a group of people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have given their heart and life to Christ, and he is growing his holiness in them day in and day out. Sanctification is taking place. The church right now is being refined. It's being pruned and purified through trials of many kinds, and what God wants to produce in his people is a fruit of holiness. I think it'd be really easy for us to say that everything is being refined right now. Everything is being changed. Maybe you've heard the phrase, it's the new normal, right? Like, I, I tell you what, we're going through trials of many kinds right now in our, in our nation, in our world, and God is refining those who are his. He's calling those out of darkness into light. And the church is being refined by his presence and his holiness in our lives. Matt Chandler said it this way. He's a pastor in Texas. It is the holiness of heaven that drives out the filthiness of the world. It is the beauty of Christ that compels us to say no to what is broken and grotesque in the world. God is leading us to say no to sin and say yes to a life in him. He's leading us and growing us in that way. So Jesus has saved you to change you. I think that's a safe statement. If he hasn't changed you, then he may not have saved you. 
You may have said a prayer and applied some outward ceremonies and had some emotional, spiritual moments, learned to be a good person and studied doctrine, but if holiness isn't growing, something is wrong. That's a bold statement for the church. Holiness is something that God puts us in us and it grows. I like how Peter says that Peter is the one who's given this account to John Mark and in his letter, 2 Peter, he says these words, his divine power has granted you, this is a very important word, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become, here it is, partakers in the divine nature. Holiness is something that God does in us. It's, it's small and it grows. And what he does, he says, look, I've given you the, the divine power. I've given you all things necessary. I've given you all this so that you can become partakers in the divine nature, so that I can change you into the very image of Christ, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Let's keep reading. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Peter says here is that there's a chance that you could be an unfruitful Christian that you're not producing holiness. And so an unfruitful Christian is an ineffective Christian. Things have to be cut or pruned out of our lives for us to be fruitful. It just has to happen this way. There's things that he wants to cut out of our life. See, holiness is a fruit produced in us through the ongoing process of spiritual pruning and abiding. John's gospel records it this way. Jesus says these words in chapter 15, 1 through 2 and verse 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. By this, my Father is glorified, and you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is what he says. There's things that need to be cut out of your life so that you can produce more fruit, the fruit of holiness. He's moving us in this direction. So here's kind of what I want you to understand, this little thesis statement for the morning. Holiness by means of sanctification, is produced by looking outside of yourself and your abilities to fix what's wrong within yourself. Holiness, it's done through sanctification. It's looking outside of yourself to fix what you know is wrong inside of yourself. So I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand, okay? This can be one of those questions that you just act like you're not listening to. But I would say, because this is me, I can walk, here, I walk in here on a Sunday morning and I can know without a shadow of a doubt that there's sin and there's darkness and there are things in my heart that should not be there. I know that there's something wrong with inside of me. And I have only one hope, Jesus Christ. My only hope is that he would produce in me a holiness that I can't do on my own. I don't care how many rules I follow, how moral I think I am, how many ceremonies I go to, how many experiences I have. If he doesn't produce in me something that I'm incapable of producing, I'm hopeless. Holiness is a gift from God. So we fix our eyes on him, thus causing us to abide in him, looking to Christ and his holiness and his divine power and presence through the Holy Spirit to produce in us a fruit 
of holiness. So we're going to jump in. We're not really, we're not to Mark yet, okay? So just hang on. But I'm going to give you the first point here in just a second, but I'm going to pray for us that God would open our ears and our eyes to see him. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for your word. The idea of holiness is beyond us. But it is you. It's who you are. Reveal to us today who you are. God, shine light in the dark areas of our lives and our hearts that we would be repentant, that we would be humble, that we would fall before you desperate for you to produce in us what we are incapable of producing ourselves. You are holy. And we worship you in Christ's name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is holiness hates sin. Holiness hates sin. If you're taking notes, write this down. Holiness hates sin. We see uh, Paul Tripp says it this way. The first and foremost, the doctrine of holiness of God sits at the center of the grand narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the holiness of God, there would be no moral law to which every human being is responsible. Without the holiness of God, there would be no divine anger with sin. Without the holiness of God, there would be no perfect son sent as an acceptable sacrifice for sin. Without the holiness of God, there would have been no vindication of the resurrection. Without the holiness of God, there would be no final defeat of Satan. Without the holiness of God, there would be no hope for a new heaven and earth where holiness will reign over us and in us forever. Holiness sets at the center of the gospel. Without the holiness of God, there, there is no need for Christ. Holiness, separate, holiness hates sin because sin separates us from God. Exodus 15, 11 says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Who is like God? He is holy. His holiness is majestic. We see a good glimpse of this in Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet Isaiah says this, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's keep reading. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Right now, there is a holy, holy, holy God being worshiped in glory. We gather here today because there is a holy, holy, holy God who does not want to look upon sin. He sent his very own son so that we could have life and have it more abundant. And he wants to do a work in us that produces a holiness that one day when we reach glorification, we will look and we'll say, look, it's Christ. It's all about Christ. Holy, holy, holy. The holiness of God exposes the sins of man. When you read this account in Isaiah, he quickly is aware of how sinful he is. When we encounter the holiness of God, it exposes the sin that really dwells in our hearts. But we have a problem. Sin doesn't always appear sinful to us. Often it's attractive and magnetic. It's the holiness of God that exposes sin. 
Sin is more than a list of bad behaviors and more than breaking a set of abstract rules. Sin is a condition of the heart that causes us to willingly and repeatedly rebel against a holy, holy, holy God. Holiness hates sin. You see, we can't be in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God and not be confronted with the sin that's in our hearts. That's why some of us keep a distance from God. Or maybe we elevate one attribute of God and diminish the holiness of God. Oh, he's a loving God. He's a kind and generous God. He's a holy, holy, holy God. And holiness hates sin. We can't say we're interested in submitting to a holy, holy, holy God without being in, while being disinterested in the process and presence of holiness. We can't say that we worship a holy, holy, holy God and have no interest in him producing in us the holiness of Christ. He's always growing us and moving us in this direction. It's called sanctification. The second thing I want you to see is holiness hates so-called harmless sins. I say harmless because there's no such thing as harmless sins. But yet, sometimes we get this idea, oh, it's just a little sin. Oh, it's no big deal. Everyone does that. So now we're in Mark chapter 9. We made it there. Mark chapter 9, picking up verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Wow. This is one of these sections of scripture where Jesus is teaching, and it's one of his extended areas of teaching to his disciples. And he says some things in it that just really don't sound like kind and loving. It sounds like a holy God that hates sin. Let me read this in context. This is Matthew chapter 18. That way we understand where this fits in the, the story where we left off last week. Matthew 18, 1 through 7. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, look, if you want to be great, then you've got to humble yourself. That's what we talked about last week. You've got to turn and become like this, a child of God. You've got to turn from the sin in your life and become a child of God. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be thrown in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. You see, as a child of God, we are held accountable if our careless actions cause another child of God to fall into sin. That's difficult for us to understand because we like to think that sin's personal. Oh, it's just a personal thing. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's just that's my thing. It's what I'm doing. We like to think that sin's private. We like to think that we can go and we can close the door and we can do what we want to do on our time and it's not going to affect anybody. But let me tell you, sin is not personal and it's not private. It's persuasive. And as we begin to accept sin in our life, we begin to then tell other people it's okay for them to accept sin in their life. And that happens in the church. 
We begin to not pursue the holiness of God, but we begin to pursue the happiness of man. And we begin to say, it's okay. It's harmless. It's no big deal. Everyone else is doing it. You see, if we have a flippant attitude towards sin, we make disciples who have flippant attitudes towards sin. If the church has a flippant attitude about sin, then guess what? It's going to make disciples who feel the same way. Followers of Christ are to be concerned about the community of faith in its pursuit of holiness. I like how David Platt puts it. We must not add to the world's temptations by leading one another to sin in the church. For instance, don't gossip to me when I'm already fighting off the tendency in my own heart. Don't lead me astray in the name of your supposed Christian liberties when I'm fighting every day not to turn those liberties into a license to sin. He's like, you should be concerned with the holiness that God wants to produce in the life of the church. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of a holy, holy, holy king, and a holy king hates sin, and he wants to move us towards holiness and produce in us something that we can't produce in ourselves. And he said, we shouldn't be a stumbling block for those in the body of Christ. But when we take a flippant attitude towards sin because of cultural acceptance or our emotional or psychological baggage and push that onto another believer, we're leading them towards an attitude that treats sin as harmless and as a self-justified personal belief. There's a lot of self-justified personal beliefs in the church today. And we push those And we say, well, this is what I do, and this is how I live, and this is how I see it. But what if we were a body that was concerned about holiness? And I'm not talking about legalism, and I'm not talking about rule following, and I'm not talking about being the moral police. I'm talking about the fact that when you get in front of a holy, holy, holy God, you're going to be convicted of the sin that's in your life. He's going to expose the dark areas of your heart and lead you towards repentance and humility. Hebrews would say it this way in 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Sin is never harmless. It distorts relationships with others and it distorts our relationship with the Lord. If there's sins that we see as so-called harmless sins in our life, They're going to distort the way that you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ. A lot of times we use our brothers and sisters in Christ for our own personal motives, our own personal gains. We're not seeking holiness. We're seeking happiness. The next thing is holiness hates hedonistic sins. This word hedonism or hedonistic means engaged in the pursuit of pleasure, sensuality, and self Indulgence. Let's keep reading. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Again, these are difficult words from Jesus. And this is not literal teaching, right? 
We don't see a lot of people with their arms cut off and their feet cut off and their eyes poked out because they're trying to follow Christ. He's simply saying, if you want to see the holiness of God produced in your life, then things are going to have to be cut out of your life. If you want to see holiness, the fruit of holiness produced, then pruning has to take place. There has to be things that are cut out. But see, where conviction of sin is absent, compromise and concession are present. When we seek to be convicted of the sin that's in our life, we live a life of compromise and concession. A couple of weeks back, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, a young man came in my office, and he, he, he came in the door, and he just kind of looked at me, and he said, hey, can we talk for a second? Yeah, man, sure. I went in my office, and uh, we sat there for a minute, and he, and he just began to talk about some anxiety that was in his life. He began to say, I don't, I don't know what it is. I keep praying. I've been reading my Bible. I read all the way through John. Now I'm reading in Genesis. I don't know where to go, but I feel like God is angry with me. And I think, he said, I think maybe Satan's just punishing me. He's just tormenting me. I said, okay, well, let's kind of think through this for a second, okay? If you are feeling this when you read God's word, could it be that he's convicting you of sin that's in your life? And then he just started to weep. And he started to confess. Here's things in my life that shouldn't be there. And I know it. God is leading you towards conviction. The holiness of God hates sin, even when we are following things that we think make us feel good. Convenience works against holiness. Holiness is never convenient. Later that day, that young man called me and he said, hey, I need to tell you something. Here's the conversations I've had today in the last two hours, and here's the things I'm doing to make things right because I know that my life needs to be obedient to God. It was not convenient. It was hard. He had to have some really difficult conversations, but it led him down a path of obedience. Peter, again, in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Called to be holy means that you have been set apart by God's grace for God's purpose. As children of God, we have been set free from the bondage of sin and slavery for the purposes of God. Holiness isn't convenient. It requires sacrifice and changes in the cutting out of things. You know, um, a lot of times we have sins in our life that we allow to stick around as pets. It's, it reminds me of people who have wild exotic animals as pets. You know what I'm talking about? Before there was a Tiger King or a Carol Baskin, there was two guys named Siegfried and Roy. Do you remember Siegfried and Roy? No? Okay. Well, in 2003, Siegfried and Roy, they were these entertainers, kind of magician-type guys, and they always had big, large cats on stage with them. Well, in 2003, they were doing a show, and in the middle of the show, one of these large cats, its name was uh, Montecor, one of these large cats grabbed Roy and attacked him. It grabbed him by the sleeve, and he yelled at the cat to stop. And when that happened, he tripped and fell. The large cat then moved in and got above him and 
bit him, severing his spine, and dragged him off stage, leaving him severely impaired. And as he's, in the, as he's on his way to the hospital, this is, this is what he said. Don't let anything bad happen to that cat. That's a good cat. Later on in an interview, he said, that cat was just trying to protect me. Okay, number one, that's an apex predator and you were a person, so you got taken out. You can't make excuses when it acts the way it's supposed to act. And you can't defend it when it acts the way it's supposed to act. But that's what we do with sin. We bring it into our house and we say, you know what? It's a good cat. It's a great pet. I love it. It didn't mean to attack me. It didn't mean to sever my spine. It didn't mean to do those things. It was actually trying to protect me. This sounds silly, doesn't it? When sin attacks, it's living out its true nature. And sometimes we're so hedonistic and so pleasure-seeking that we will make excuses for it. And we'll defend it. Yeah, I know it. I know it wrecked my life. I know I'm never going to be the same because of the decisions I made, but it's not that bad. Sin attacks. So Romans 13, 14, Paul says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision the flesh will always be as active as we allow it to be. Well, I don't, I don't know why I fell into that sin. I, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't see it coming. Were you making provisions for that sin? Were you putting yourself in situations that you knew would one day attack you? Were you bringing a large cat into the house and acting like it was a, a house cat? I mean, these are, these are things that he says, look, don't make any provision for it because one day it will attack. If you are a child of God and you're making provisions for sin, you will be miserable in sin. Maybe trying to justify it, maybe trying to defend it, maybe trying to reconcile your feelings with your faith, but you will never be able to make holiness and sin friends. And that's, that's where a lot of the church is. I really want the holiness of God and the sins that I love to be friends. And it will never happen. It will make you miserable. You can defend it. You can try to justify it. But it will eat at you. It will destroy you. Because holiness hates sin. And finally, holiness hates habitual sins. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Have salt within yourselves. Habitual sin makes us lose our saltiness. Jesus would say this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The thing about salt is, salt is sodium chloride, and sodium chloride is salt, so salt will always be salt. So how does it lose its saltiness? By being diluted. You know, one time when I was a youth pastor, I played a really, really bad game. 
And I thought it would be funny to do a Kool-Aid drinking contest, but to make the kids make the Kool-Aid and then drink the Kool-Aid as quick as possible. They were literally drinking the Kool-Aid, right? That's not, I didn't mean for that to come out like that. But instead of having sugar there, I had salt, to which they didn't know. And so they followed the directions, and they made the the Kool-Aid as quick as they could with two cups of salt. And they took that, and they started chugging it. Let me tell you something. I almost lost my job because there were sick kids everywhere, okay? Don't ever... But there was a lot of salt in that. But let's say we take two cups of salt and we put it in 100,000 gallons of water. Will you be able to taste it? Probably not. It's diluted. What if it loses its saltiness? Jesus is teaching. He's like, look, what if, what if believers lose their saltiness? What if they become so deluded by the things of this world, the sins and the, the wants of this world, that people can't even tell that they're believers anymore? What if they lose their saltiness? This word loses its flavor is literally the Greek word from where we get the word moron. It's in the Greek. Don't you love that? So if a Christian loses his saltiness, he's a moron. That's what the Greek says. I was way more blown away by that than you are. <laughs> I was so excited to read that. If a Christian becomes so lazy and deluded, they engage in habitual sins and act like they're no big deal. They cease to be effective and fruitful. They're a moron. You are given all that you're needed in Christ Jesus to live a life of godliness and to say, no, I think I'd rather go this way and be deluded by the world. In the Greek, that's a moron. How could you say no to the holiness of God to follow after the things of this world? They just don't make sense. They don't add up. You can't can't do that. Because a lazy Christian is nothing more than a nominal Christian. I think the world is being refined. I think the church is being pruned. I think God is showing us that as a church, as a body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, as children of God, that we should be concerned with one another's holiness and the pursuit of God. And that if we continue to delude ourselves with the things of this world, there's a Greek word for that. Salt and fire. This is purity and sacrificial language. Look, look at Leviticus 2.13. You shall, have, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Offering your bodies on an altar of sacrifice, that's worship. The pursuit of Christ, the pursuit of his holiness being produced in you, this is worship Holiness is produced in us when we place our lives on the altar 
of worship so that Christ can develop in us his character, his holiness, and his purpose. Lazy Christianity doesn't sacrifice self. It simply serves self. Sacrifice. So the question I want to end with is, why is holiness so uncommon in Christianity? Because anyone who seeks to serve themselves over sacrifice themselves will cease to develop the holiness of Christ because they aren't living out the character of Christ. Mark 10, 45, the next chapter. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're called by the glory of God. He's given us faith. He's called us to humble ourselves in humility, to recognize the fact that when we're in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, that there are things in our lives that should not be there. And we lay those things on the altar. Make my life a life of worship. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.